don't believe, I always think that all this bullshit about to provoke you a little bit more, this is superstitious logic. It's pure ideology. You know this ecological bullshit like... Uh... Hello, welcome to the end of the world. This is Anthropocene's episode 68, uh, one off the sex number. And we are going to be talking about uh, not what we said last episode. I think we said we were going to do some Tarkovsky film. We Have you never done a sixty-eight? Opposite. You never done a sixty-eight before? <laughs> no, I haven't got around <laughs> to it yet. Um, so we said we were going to do some legit film scholarly Tarkovsky stuff, but instead we watched. And we did. Uh, yeah, we watched uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, from which fucking sucks. Oh, it does. Spoiler absolutely. alert! Uh, directed by Adam Adam Wingard, who has done a bunch of. A, a smattering of things he did the weird remake of the Blair Witch um, he also but stuff. he started he started with like mumblecore stuff right with like Joe Swanberg yeah yeah and then figured out that's not where the money is yeah um, but it's always weird when you see like indie people you know directing like a Marvel movie or whatever oh yeah I, I mean I think we talked about it with uh, uh, Chloe Zhao right who, oh yeah, who just won the Oscar for Best Director last night? Yeah, but is going to be doing a a Marvel an MCU project. Yeah, um, but with it, I'm glad you said this movie sucks because I want to. I think I want to focus mainly on that, which is. So I watched this, and then a couple days ago, I watched the new Mortal Kombat movie, um, also on HBO Plus or HBO Max or whatever they call it, and. I have to say that I think that the mid late nineties, early two thousands, dumb as a bag of hammers action movie is back in a back, very big baby. way. <laughs> uh, it's it's really uh, you know, Jensen and I were talking about Godzilla versus Kong and we were like, This was the movie that studios had in their back pocket for a rainy day like COVID. They were like What's a guaranteed dumb as a bag of hammers idea that 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 will guarantee profit? What can we put out when people can't go to the movies that will still make us money? Fucking Godzilla versus King Kong. Yeah, and you say it's that. It's, it's the it's the AVP of <laughs> monster movies or you've never, you've never done giant AVP? monster. I have seen AVP. Uh, so, AV wasn't very happy about that, though. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> oh man, edit that out. <laughs> so you uh, you say that it's funny you say that because this is a film that, like a kind of Marvel cinematic universe film, is part of its own cinematic universe. Like everything seems seemingly has to be now, and there were I think three films leading up to this. A couple of uh, Godzilla films in the Kong movie. Yeah, I had to like look that up because I, I finished watching the movie and I was like, are there like prequels? Because this makes no fucking sense to me. And it seems like they're taking a lot of sort of exposition knowledge for granted. And it turns out they were. Uh, there's but there's like two prequels, you know, two movies that came before in each franchise. So there's like, Skull Island for uh, Kong, 
And then I think there's a previous one. Here's another question I have. I still don't know the answer to this. Is this in the is the is is the Kong character in the same universe as the Peter Jackson King Kong that came out in like 2005? I I don't think so. Because I I just more confusing. Right, because it takes place in like the 20s or something, and I I looked at it like the King Kong is like three times bigger in these movies. Like, remember, he dies in the Peter Jackson King Kong by falling off a skyscraper, but he's so big in Godzilla versus Kong that he's like smashing skyscrapers uh, to where it's like if he fell off of it, it'd just be like a small little injury. Uh, So I, I was very confused watching this like so what world say, am i in cuz i'm pretty the, the peter jackson one i think is just like meant to be a a, a remake a reboot of the original king kong from the 30s or 40s right. or whenever that was right. um the godzilla is this is the third appearance of this iteration of godzilla and it's funny cuz i remember watching the first of these reboots all the way back in like 2014 I think I saw that one. It had Brian Cranston in it, fresh yeah. out of Breaking Bad. Okay, I saw that one in the theater and instantly forgot about it. Um, but <laughs> yeah. but but there it's was another Potter one. Godzilla. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one sucked too. Yeah, and then there, uh, then there was another Godzilla movie where apparently I think that's the one where he fought Mothra. Or I I don't know. Um, there's that weird like uh, tournament montage at the beginning of of Godzilla versus right. Kong that shows like their path to the championship. Right. Right. Uh, that's I figured the that that montage was a sort of reference to earlier films, and and I think I'm right. Um, but yeah, so my first impression in watching this was was confusion at. It seemed like I was missing some backstory, which, you know, made made the viewing experience not great, but it also kind of validates how. You know, it takes a, it takes away a little bit from how shitty the experience was, because like, obviously, it's it's not all the film's fault. Some of it's my fault. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen the, the prequels. Well, it also helps if you believe in Hollow Earth theory, <laughs> uh, which is so it's so funny that they take a that's crackpot. a metaphor. <laughs> they take like a crackpot, like Jules Verne, old school theory that the earth is hollow on the inside and stuff lives in there um and then they use that as the entire fulcrum around which the plot moves i gotta be honest the the hollow earths if i had to pick a favorite scene the when they travel to hollow earth that was the only time that i felt any sort of sense of wonder or like curiosity about what it was going to be like the rest of the movie i was just like counting the seconds to get through the whole thing with uh um like the young girl whose dad kyle chandler (laughs) i i I told jency the title of this movie should be godzilla versus kong and there's kyle chandler because he's just like totally tacked on like he is no business in this movie whatsoever uh but the kids who are like with the adult podcast guy uh, like their story, if if the movie goes five or six minutes without mentioning them, 
uh, I would forget that they existed. Oh yeah. Um, that's, which is funny cause when you, well, it's funny when you think about who they got to play these characters that kind of don't matter. So Millie Bobby Brown for known for stranger things. Um, and the, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, who is in, has been in a few things, but was in Atlanta kind of most freshly to my mind as Paperboy. Um, and mm. so these are like known, known faces, and they're playing these roles that are meant to be kind of like comic relief, and ultimately don't really matter very much. Um, yeah, I it's uh, and strange. and in the lead roles, you've got Alexander Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall just phoning it in utterly. Uh, you know, two good actors. Um, I, I really I like Rebecca Hall. She she makes good choices usually, um, but uh, getting a big check is a good choice. Yeah, I mean, it, it, she probably filmed her lines in like half a day, and it's just like, peace out. I'll yeah, be so, expecting a check. And even like, I don't know. It's funny because they have Alexander Skarsgård, who's kind of this big giant hulking viking guy um usually known for using his physicality to be like intimidating but they try to make him this like bumbling nerd Mm -hmm. um and that it doesn't really come off super super well i don't think and and why why is he dressed like marty mcfly or um you know he's got the like the uh the vest and the jeans and like the 80s sneakers he's like straight out of back to the future or in a weird way i hope you've seen this movie if if there's one movie that godzilla versus kong feels like it is kung fury oh yeah you know what i'm talking about it has that weird sort of vibe um if i had to describe the aesthetic of godzilla versus kong i would call it uh laser tag like it just feels like you're in a this you know it's like this neon industrial dystopia aesthetic and it just feels like you're in a game of laser tag the whole time and what other era felt like that uh what do you mean i'm just saying like it's all this is all meant to be just like throwbacks to when movies were pure spectacle oh yeah no substance right yeah go and play laser tag and see a movie at the mall. It's just like Joe Biden's president. Everything's going back to normal. Let's fucking do it. Let's, let's bring it all back. Mortal Kombat, King Kong, Godzilla, everybody's showing up. We're going to throw a party. We're going to drink some Zimas and rage. (laughs) Yeah. And play, they're going to re-release super Nintendo. Uh, It's going to be great. Just the return of the mindless film, right? Uh, On the day after which, uh, well, the day after the Oscars, right? <laughs> An Oscars uh, which ended with the biggest thud of all time when Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor and wasn't even there. Uh, I didn't watch any. I, was there was there anything to actually watch? I don't even know how they did it. They had a, a small kickback, small ceremony. Right. Um, but yeah, it was. It, it went pretty much like people were expecting it to, except they kind of built up the whole ceremony as a tribute to Chadwick Boseman and as if they were going to give him best actor at the end. And then it was like, no, Anthony Hopkins and he's not here. Good night. 
Sir Anthony Hopkins. I thought I thought uh, Anthony Hopkins should have won uh, for The Mask of Zorro way back in the nineties. Hell yeah, dude! Hell that yeah, that's a movie I've seen so much ass. I remember watching that movie so many times and watching it in Spanish class in high school. <laughs> nice. And it's funny that because that Mask of Zorro is exactly the kind of movie that Godzilla vs Kong is, which like minus the 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 sexiness. Of having Antonio Banderas and I think Selma Hayek, right? No, no, it's uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay, sorry, that's <laughs> racial. Uh, so that, that getting getting those two mixed up, she um, does not dip beneath the lasers in no, this one. Though. But you know that that was part of that was also part of that like they had that like hot blooded sexual uh, tension. Oh, I, going I on. remember. Oh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um, whereas in this, there's like nothing approaching sexuality. Or even, like, affection, really. It's just, like, I don't know. This movie is so devoid of emotions, except, like, I kind of found myself empathizing with Big Monkey, as I like to call him. Yes. Um, So I'd be like, no, Big Monkey. I bet he takes giant shits. You know he be shitting. I mean, where does, where does, where? Yeah, like, where's all the pot? Like, where are the pot? Where where are those macho <laughs> stacks? Where are they <laughs> especially like they take the trip right on on the boat and he's chained. It's like it would cause a toxic event, a a, a waterborne toxic event if King Kong took a shit in the ocean. Also, like that Godzilla is like as big as a city, but they never know where he's at. He just kind of <laughs> yeah. lives in the ocean, and they're like, "Oh, here he is." Right. Uh, I, I don't think I told you. I started to watch the old Godzilla, the 1954 Godzilla, mm. which is on Canopy. It's, you know, the Criterion release. Disguise and suits. Yeah, and I can already tell it's way better. It's, like, kind of thoughtful, and it's, like, clearly this, like, political allegory um, where the where Godzilla sort of embodies all these fears post-World War II. Uh, not the case in Godzilla v. Kong, uh, there's well, I, there's there's no real uh, a phrase I keep hearing over and over again. There's no there there, uh, <laughs> and I think it applies. Well, I, I'm glad you say that because original Godzilla is sort of born out of like you say all these post World War II anxieties in Japanese society. One of them mainly being anxiety over nuclear attack, right? Because they had been. Nuclear, nuclearly attacked. attacked. Yeah. Um, so Godzilla's this kind of manifestation of those things. It's like lizard that's made into this monstrous city destroying thing that in the threat of it's always hanging over their head, that kind of thing. Nature kind of exploited and gone awry and made monstrous. Um, and in Godzilla versus Kong, these human beings are living within a world in which these titans as they call them exist these giant fucking monsters that seem to be coming out of nowhere and everybody's still just kind of chilling but there are posters in the classrooms that say like be titan aware and that kind of be titan safe or whatever um and it's you could try to make the same kind of connection from the early films that they had to nuclear power and nuclear weaponry between this movie and you know climate change and climate catastrophe but it's not really there because then they do this wacky shit of over mysticizing it and connecting it to a hollow earth theory 
and ultimately having a solution to it, which is or trying to create solutions to it that are like deeply te- deeply technological. But then in the end, it turns out that it just solves itself because dinosaur and big monkey team up to defeat the robot, which is a sentence that is real fun to say. And <laughs> and then the problem just goes away. Yeah. Um, if, if there's one thing you can say uh, in terms of like a deeper meaning for Godzilla and Kong, it's that l- both lizard and monkey are animals. They're sort of the go-to animals when we talk about the unconscious, you know, like the id that you talk about the lizard brain or, you know, in terms of monkeys, like, like Darwinian ideas uh, of like the primitive part of your brain uh, going ape, etc. Um, and so you have these, these animals that are associated with kind of like uh, unconscious drives or, or like the worst sort of most animalistic impulses in, in human beings. And they, they live underground and then they emerge and they fight. You could, you could do a sort of bullshit Freudian thing with that. But again, it's, it's toward nothing. It's just like, you know, maybe those, maybe those, uh, deeper meanings come from earlier films you know, and they just inherit like these sequels just sort of inherit that that story and therefore the meanings that come along with it. And somehow they find a way to sort of hollow that out and and make it utterly meaningless and spect- you know, spectacle driven. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, it's a, a copy this like simulacra of this earlier thing that doesn't have any of the content. Yeah. It's like a game of telephone through, through adaptation. And by the time you get to like the, you know, the sixth movie, the original meanings just been totally lost and distorted into something ridiculous. Yeah. It's, I was looking at a, I was kind of scrolling through the Wikipedia page and there's this, uh, review from, uh, a site called The Rap by somebody named Alonzo Duralde um, said the franchise has given up on everything but but the monster fights and they wrote that uh, yes obviously no one goes to these movies for the deep human characters or for plot machinations or even for the metaphors about the environment industrialization here's the thing though they come in handy to fill the gaps between the monster battles and you miss them when they're not there and since even those battles are somewhat perfunctory what are we even doing here? <laughs> I read that. I'm glad you found that. Uh, I read that exact thing, and I thought it was funny. Uh, yeah, I had the same the same sort of feeling. Like no one no one's arguing that this movie should be you know ordinary people in terms of its drama, uh, but uh, you do have to have some semblance of a story. Uh, and character motivation to to make the uh, action sequences meaningful. Otherwise, you have porn, uh, and and that's what this is. It's just you know spectacle porn, effects porn. It's it's like I haven't seen a a cartoon in a long time, like a cartoon film. But most of this movie is CGI. And I think I text you right when I finished watching it. It's like nice to see Hollywood's delving into non-narrative based filmmaking. 
because there's basically no story in this movie. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, that is kind of where things are headed. Sort of the bigger, the spectacle, the better, the plot's kind of secondary. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, like I said, return to greatness, baby, make film great again. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I feel like this is a movie that Trump could, could really appreciate, you know, he would get it. Big big monkey with an axe, of course, tremendous. <laughs> uh, uh, but I mean, think about films of. Well, let's think about like. Well, I say big budget. I, I'm assuming this had a big budget, but what even is a big budget anymore? Um, especially since now there's no box office really. So, the budget for this was like 200 million. Um, so thinking about like other big uh, action movies of earlier times and how they compare. Um, not just with effects and stuff, but also just according to plot. And if for some reason, the one I keep landing on is Armageddon and how like compared to this Armageddon is like Citizen Kane. Oh yeah. I mean, you think about like, you know, the characters and there's like 10 characters in Armageddon that you, that you uh, kind of feel, you feel sad when, when some of them die, like Owen Wilson's character, for instance, he's so minor but you're still sort of sad when he dies because the film actually takes time to develop uh, individual characters. Yeah, and at the end of it has a real emotional effect on you, right? Even though you know it's like this big budget action movie with space and asteroids and shit, when he you find out he's not going back, you're like, oh god, no, dad. Right. It's that's that's a really good point because you come away from Armageddon a completely, you know, it's, it's spectacle driven and a huge box office, you know, huge budget, but you come away from that movie remembering that sort of emotional moment in the story, the sacrifice. And you come away from Godzilla and versus Kong, just like, wasn't that lizard monkey fight badass? Big monkey has axe. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so fucking stupid. Uh, another thing I thought about is uh, how they treat, and I'm not even sure, thanks to the bullshit storytelling, who they is, uh, but Rebecca Hall's character is a scientist of some sort. Uh, she seems to be sort of inextricably wedded to the military. Uh, and I, Alexander Skarsgård is some sort of nerd scientist writer. I don't know what his connection to the military is, but I'm assuming these are like military ships that are transporting Kong. Um, anyway, I noticed that they sort of treat Kong or, or King Kong as sort of in the position of the, uh, of the military. I mean, not only is he controlled by the military, but he's this sort of uh, obligated party, right? Um, he's sort of there, there, there's a there's a strange dynamic between Kong and his captors. You see, at the beginning, he's in his Truman Show bubble uh, against his will, and Kristoff is you know pulling the strings up there. Uh, but he's in his Truman Show bubble, and and it's against his will. And yet, so he's being held captive. And yet, 
when the American military has a fight, has beef with Koji beef with Godzilla, they, uh, they call on Kong and he happily, you know, goes to battle for them. So I don't really understand like, what is Kong's, what, you know, what are his motives? Where, where are his allegiances and, and why are they, why do they seem to be with his captors? Yeah, it's strange because he, and he knows that he's in his Truman Show bubble. Um, whereas with Godzilla, Godzilla is like completely uncontrollable, I guess, because he has nuclear laser breath and they just don't know what to do with that. Um, that seems to be sort of his one ace in the hole that whenever anything gets too too rowdy, he's like, I'm just going to breathe on it real hard. Um, so, I, yeah, it seems as if Godzilla is sort of this weapon that they can't control, but Kong is the one that they kind of can for some reason. And I don't know how they sedate him. Like there, there's just like a lot of uh, logistical issues. <laughs> with like yeah. How this is going on. Right. Um, and because there's, there's one part where Rebecca Hall uh, says, if we like on the ship, when they're transporting him, she says, if we unlock him, if we take the shackles off, he'll kill us. And it's like, okay, if he's going to kill you, if he's un, you know, if you take the shackles off, why is he so willing to fight this lizard who's going to kill you? Um, I, I, I just have a lot of questions about the relationship between Kong and whoever it is that's responsible for him. Well, well they kind of they try to explain it sort of with the little girl, um, who is deaf and his sort of taught Kong how to sign or maybe he picked it up I don't know like what the implication is there with how he learned it but they can communicate via sign language and that's the part like that part was also really funny when they're like so shocked that he's learned sign language when he's obviously an intelligent creature that like knew he was being held in this dome and all this shit right Um, and it's like haven't they seen Coco yeah it's like he's you know even if he is a giant monkey he still has the same sort of communication capacities um but yeah that i think they try to explain it away with like he has this connection with this little girl but even then to what end like what purpose does that serve other than to sort of give us a way into his mind so we identify with him more than with godzilla i guess because godzilla is like more monstrous because like you said it's a sort of like id lizard brain kind of association we have whereas with king kong we can identify more readily and when he's in pain we're like oh no big monkey um yeah it's almost like it's almost like you know the lizard brain is older and and therefore more uncontrollable it's like more primitive than the monkey brain and so we have we can still sort of literally and figuratively harness our monkey brain to fight our lizard brain but but this is like this is us being creative, not the movie being, you know, symbolic. No, no, this is a movie in which a fucking giant lizard uses laser breath to bore a hole to the center of the earth. Yeah. In the middle of Hong Kong. Like that's Dude, that's how about with. how about when Kong is still in the middle of the earth and he looks up through the portal and he sees Godzilla in like Tokyo or wherever the fuck he is. Uh, 
and he it, like he can like see him through the through the hole all the way up in you know on the regular earth that's 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 badass <laughs> i i personally liked when he was again when kong is in the center of the hollow earth and he like he wants to go to the temple like the kong temple i guess and he like jumps and because of the gravity he like floats and then flips and lands on his feet mm-hmm. i was like oh yeah that's what i came for <laughs> Yeah, that's a great sequence. I'm telling you, the Hollow Earth is is the only enjoyable part of that movie. Um, l- let's talk. Let's talk about the uh, the little girl who you mentioned, the indigenous character who, like you said, is deaf and can speak and or can communicate with uh, Kong via sign language. Because this is the thing that stood out to me the most. Uh, because we have this, uh, like I said, indigenous girl who is in the care of the American scientist who, like I said, seems to be inextricably wedded to the military in some capacity uh, or is maybe the go-to scientist in terms of the military's use of Kong as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, but so this little girl is in her care for reasons dubious at best, uh, and, and not very well explained. Um, but it, yeah, it has some, uh, has some shitty things going on there. Um, uh, it, it's sort of this idea that the indigenous person, um, you know, has this inherent link with the monkey. Uh, you know, they're both, they're both kind of, uh, you know, she's more, she's more grounded and more in touch with nature and therefore she can talk to the monkey. Uh, it also, it, it mystifies not only indigenous culture, but maybe like disability culture at the same time. Um, I, it was sort of cringeworthy, uh, cause it, it, to me, it seems like this attempt to, to be the opposite, to be sort of woke, uh, but it actually comes off the exact opposite. Um, anyway, I will say on like the uh, like the identity politics kind of kind of view of it, uh, the actress her name is Kaylee Hoddle. Uh, she is deaf, uh, but she, from what I can tell, she has a, a white American father and a Korean mother. But that doesn't really, I guess, matter as much because the the natives of Skull Island are a made-up people, I guess. Um, mm. But even then, Skull Island's supposed to be, I think, is meant to be the sort of like South Pacific kind of island. Um, mm. So it, it might just be a case where they found a young deaf actress and thought, oh, good enough. <laughs> and you know, that, that'll work for our purposes. Um, right. But yeah, it is this, this weird like mashup of, of indigenous cultures that by trying to be everything ends up being kind of nothing and really the only thing is that the the girl the character uh named Gia still dresses in like indigenous garb which is like a I don't know it it, it does seem very much like a old school museum exhibit or something yeah and they I mean she has to dress that way because the film wants us to know that like you know she is kind of the last survivor of this indigenous 
culture and and what we can we see that the the scientific community is sort of mining her authenticity uh for its own benefit and of course like i said she the the scientist is connected to the military so you see the military sort of using science and science sort of using the su- supposed authenticity of indigenous cultures all to you know to the american military's aims uh which is uh i don't think a satirical takedown of the continuum that i'm describing but rather a symptom of it yeah i'm i'm distracted because i googled the actress and there's a list of more results and it's a series of some of the best questions i've ever seen it's a let's see uh why is kong so tall Uh, is kong still a baby um, why is Godzilla smaller in Godzilla versus Kong, which I, apparently he's not? Um, is Kong a good guy? Um, is Godzilla good monkey. or bad? Um, what was Kong doing during Godzilla? <laughs> All that sort of stuff. Uh, why is Kong so tall? He's apparently. Oh, where is it? I, I found it. Oh, here it is. It's how tall is King Kong? It says, uh, in this film, he is 148 feet tall compared Jeez. to just 25 feet tall in Peter Jackson's film. Yeah, I'm, it's a totally different thing. Pretty huh. cool. Oh, wait, I'm no, glad I'm not the only apparently. one. Yeah, he's still he's growing. Like, well, apparently it says uh, Godzilla is like 400 feet tall, so apparently they just kept like sizing him up. Oh, this is an article from Wired. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, man, I love I love arguing about that because the, I mean that's really the only thing in the film worth talking about because there's no there's no there there like you said. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, another thing we sort of talked about briefly via text message is how how shitty the kind of. I mean, we, we talked about the laser tag aesthetic, but, uh, you know, jokes aside, it is sort of this industrial dystopia and no one seems to notice or care. Uh, it's just like, oh, yeah, this is the world you live in. Um, and it's not problematized at all. It's just accepted. This world is ugly and there's this weird uh, conflation of like technology and nature in this Truman show bubble. And then later in, at the end of the hollow earth, you know, is now being monitored by the scientists. Um, it's just a lot of sort of shitty assumptions going on. Well, and or everything is promotions. run. Yeah. Everything is run. Like world governments have no say in any of this. This is all this company Monarch uh, which runs this entire operation and builds the Mecha Godzilla and all this shit. Um, so world governments have just like have no sway anymore. They've been outpaced by these enormous, you know, transnational tech corporations that have all the power, which is not far from where we are now. Um, and so that that's where we get this reliance on these weird technocratic solutions and and. I don't like all of these resources being pulled into uh, 
um, creating a dome to keep King Kong in and then later to create a station to sort of track what's going on in the hollow earth and all this shit. Yeah. I, as I was watching this, I, it's like everything you just said, all, all the decisions that the writer and director are making are, are, are just sort of bolstering and not even coming close to problematizing all those, like you said, technocratic solutions. As I was watching this, I, I had, I came up, I don't know if this is a thing already, but I thought about, uh, I said, I said, this movie has a lot of good ideas and, but, but only if you spell ideas the same way you spell like iPhone and iPad and, uh, whatever, where it's like a little I and then a capital D because it's sort of, it's sort of, I would define that as like thought that appears as thought, but is actually just um, you know, uh, ideas to, to bolster the, the kind of techno consumerist reality that we already inhabit. It's like an idea, an idea is a thought that can't think outside of its own context. And that this whole movie feels like that. It's like, it creates this dystopia, but it's like, it doesn't know it's a dystopia. Yeah, but well, it's the you know this is water, right? Everyone's just sort of floating in it, and, and it's fine. Um, and and the only person that they imply has any sort of idea about what the, what's really going on is the batshit crazy conspiracy theorist podcaster guy. I thought that was a really shitty decision too to have a sympathetic, likable character be a conspiracy theorist, like. I just finished QAnon, you know, a week or two ago. That yeah. documentary, it's like, well, fuck hell yeah, for the documentary, not for the thing. Everybody, so. like, it's it's like basically irresponsible to to have a sympathetic character in any way related to fringe uh, conspiracy theories. In the there's at one point they imply that he he bathes in bleach. Mm-hmm. Which has to be a shout out to like all the early crazy COVID stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is like, but then, a, but a but if that's true, then why is it? You know, why is this guy the he, a hero in the movie? I don't know, man. It, it doesn't make much sense to me either. And and you mentioned the QAnon Into the Storm documentary, which is also an HBO production. They they're just like yeah. pumping stuff out. Um, and that, you know, I've been, I, I listened to a couple of podcasts that talk about QAnon related stuff as far as debunking it, not like supporting it, um, which, you know, in the, in the documentary, Alex Jones, the, yeah, in the uh, documentary, they talked to the uh, QAnon anonymous guys. Um, I do listen to that one because it does a good job of covering how, just how insane that, that shit is. Yeah. But yeah, in this, they, they turn that person into not just a sympathetic character, but into one of the heroes who like he's right and he brings down this well you know he's right about this biggest thing and he brings down this system or helps to um and also like i don't know this whole thing with like his dead wife and he's got the bottle of liquor it was just it was all very like you can tell it, it's like you took those action movies from the 90s and early 2000s and ran them through a fucking meat grinder or some sort of like <laughs> 
some sort of shittily designed AI that was meant to write a movie like that yeah. and it just like stitched together these different pieces. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It does feel like that. It's like, yeah, that seems like something that would be in a movie. Let's put it in this. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Let's do that. And when it comes to the action stuff, it's like, Big Monkey with an X. That's kind of cool. Like, maybe yeah. I don't want to watch 15 minutes of it, but it, it was, it, at first I was like, oh, neat. But... Oh shit! I I I just had a, a recovered thought. I'm trying to remember what it was. You you talking about the axe made me think about it. Uh, okay, so at the end, Kong is like unconscious and he's gonna die. This goes back to what we were saying about the uh, indigenous girl um, and all you know her being in the care of the scientific community. But Kong is gonna die. But I think. So the little girl, because she's deaf, can hear his heartbeat. And so she knows he's like fading fast. And so what they do is they take like one of their vehicles, I think, and use it as like a defibrillator or something to like jumpstart Kong's heart. And so I think what's going on there is this like you know, this melding of indigenous knowledge and scientific knowledge in order to in some way revitalize whatever Kong is representative of. Um, but again, it, it sort of functions as this uh, mining of the authenticity of the indigenous disabled character. Um, am I making this up? Is that what is it a V like one of like the vehicles that they use because it's like nuclear or something? Yeah, it's those like little pod racer things that they're buzzing around in. Yeah, but yeah, it's um, it it, it is it is problematic because you think of about Kong as being this kind of avatar of wildness, you know, like you said, going ape and all that sort of stuff. And the girl as existing in a space between Kong and the the humans that are there. <laughs> exactly, she's co- she's like coded as nature. Yeah, uh, which is you know that that's an old 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 stereotype. Yeah, like a slave stereotype. Yeah, so it definitely there is some of that going on where she's like closer to understanding his true nature, and she can communicate with him when everybody else is just like confused and frightened right um yeah and and kong is dependent on this cutting edge technology he can't survive without this cutting edge technology which is like what the fuck are they doing i don't understand who's writing this horse shit it was uh actually wrote their names down um Eric Parson, sorry, Eric Pearson, and Max Berenstein. Can you imagine Berenstein, an, sorry. an easier script to write? It's just like scientists talk about monkey. Monkey takes a trip. Monkey fights lizard. The end. Yeah, I don't. What are you trying to say? What more do you need? Well, it's, it's, it's like writing porn, you know, it's just like, we'll ad lib, let, let the, let the effects guys ad lib. 
when they get to the to the good stuff. Yeah. Um, those those writers, I kind of looked at some of their other credit credits. Pearson has written for like MCU type stuff, so you can understand why they. Oh, well, you have a track record in this kind of big budget bullshit. And then uh, Bornstein or Bornstein, he uh, was a writer for the other films in this series. So he was, I guess, in charge of continuity or whatever, Um, as if that matters in the least. I I do want to, this isn't important, but it just kind of stuck out to me. When they go and they find Alexander Skarsgård's character, he's a college professor, and they show up to his office. His office is enormous. He has like an entire basement of this building as his office and he's somehow depressed about that and they show up and he's like oh my office hours are Monday through Friday and that's all he says as if all he does is sit in his office um, not how office yeah. hours work and doesn't he say 9 to 5 yeah that's what it was he says Monday through Friday <laughs> 9 to 5 it's like your job is office hours uh, yeah uh, th- that would be an interesting uh sort of side project for a podcast like uh, representations of higher education in film uh like think about like uh indiana jones like the pedagogy of indiana jones <laughs> indiana jones who apparently like teaches one class every four years and then right. just off adventuring oh uh, well in between he's definitely having sex with his students well and why, like, the one guy gives him the apple, and then the other guy, Marcus, eats it. It's, it's some some of the weirdest, it's a weird scene, the uh, the school scenes in Indiana Jones. Yeah, where he's, like, rambling about Nefertiti or whatever, and all the yeah. the whole front row is just, like, soaking through their, <laughs> their, <laughs> their, their knickers. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's not not like that is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I I do think that would be cool to pay attention to like how different movies represent higher education. Sometimes they're, I can't, I can't think of like a super accurate representation. Sometimes there's really pleasing representations like, uh, wonder boys with Michael Douglas is sort of this kind of cozy, uh, cozy college feel. Um, but I can't think of anything that's sort of an honest representation. Isn't the, uh, the dad in the squid and the well, Jeff Daniels character. Yeah. Yeah. He teaches at a, uh, I think he teaches creative writing. That's so weird. You mentioned that movie. I literally watched it like two days ago for the first time in a long time. Well, you know what? Jeff Daniels is Hemingway's voice in the documentary really that's cool yeah, and the Ken Burns. um which is why i kind of i guess i had some weird association of, of thinking of of him and, and that character from the squid and the whale who is like the the unbearable overly opinionated but often wrong about everything snooty college professor that everybody has in their head yeah pretty insufferable character which those people totally exist it's just that's not most most of them well, and most college professors are not novelists, you know. Well, yeah, that's also true. <laughs> Thank God for that. Yeah. Anyway, big monkey, big monkey, lizard brain, lizard, big lizard brain, big lizard monkey brain. 
Lizard McGuire. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I I'm literally I, like I crossed the the last thing off my list. Uh, I said in what did I say? Uh, indigenous girl in scientific communities care. That was the that was the last thing on my list. You got anything else? Well, I just want to say like the big reveal is that they built Mecha Godzilla, but that is so not not interesting at all. They they made yeah, a and they giant don't even robot. Sh- yeah, and it's like they barely talk about that. Yeah, that's there's like plan. there's no build up and there's no there's no demonstration of what the consequences would be if this new Godzilla were to be unleashed upon the world. We're just supposed to assume it would be very very bad. Even though right now it's like we're literally at the whims of two giant monsters. <laughs> but somehow yeah. this giant robot is like the worst of three evils, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um. Although I don't know, did you? So I don't know if you remember this from the the first King Kong movie, but they basically a major plot point in that film, if I'm remembering correctly, is that uh, Godzilla. I might have said King Kong earlier. Godzilla like absorbs radiation. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the the idea is like it's okay if we like have another. Uh, um, Fukushima or Three Mile Island or whatever, because yes. Godzilla will just soak it up. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's another aspect. <clears throat> aspect. Shit, I can't talk. That's aspect. another <laughs> ass, ass, ass. That is another aspect of that uh, of what we were talking about earlier of this, like not being able to think beyond beyond a very narrow context of bad ideas. Um, yeah, nuclear fucking everything in this movie, um, and 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 it's sort of like get used to it. It's normal, and in in that older one, it's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal, because Godzilla will save us and he'll soak it up and then use it for good things eventually. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. I don't know. It's just uh, Godzilla is sort of. Ch- I don't remember the the late night. Was it like nineteen ninety eight Godzilla, the Broderick one? Yeah, I don't remember it very well. I remember it. Uh, I remember uh, Puff Daddy ruined Kashmir forever. But that's it, all. Well, in the Wallflowers, uh, <laughs> covered heroes. I believe. Hero. Yeah. Um, David Bowie. Mm. I don't remember. If I remember correctly, in that film, Godzilla just kind of shows up randomly. It's sort of like agent of chaos. I I don't remember at all. I know it was probably another studio's answer to Jurassic Park. That's, and it was that's just, a good point. It was just like, oh, we have to have a big lizard movie, too. And then the big reveal was, she's a girl. And then has a bunch of little Godzillas. When you when you're you know setting uh, Matthew Broderick in competition though with Sam Neill, Sam Neill's going to win every fucking time. Absolutely. He also Sam, probably hasn't committed committed manslaughter. Sam Neill is like my favorite actor 
and not not really? because of not because he's a good actor. I just think he's a he just seems like a badass in real life. That's when's the last time when's the last time you saw your like, you know, heard about Sam Neill on TMZ or in a tabloid? When was the last time he was in like a big film? He was in Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, well, okay, but that's that huge <laughs> movie, a fine film, but not. I not mean, exactly the, the horse, the horse whisperer. Uh, oh shit! He's Mar- going to be in the new Jurassic Park next year. Pretty cool, bringing it back. He's going to show up, murder it, and then disappear. And that that's why I think that's why I think he's a badass. Yeah, he's gonna fuck up, fuck up. He's gonna fuck off back to Northern Ireland and hang out, or New Zealand. <laughs> sorry, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam Neil, here's to you. <laughs> what have we learned from Godzilla versus Kong? Here's to you, Sam Neil. <laughs> I I swear, the the best question I have about this movie is where does King Kong shit and how big is it? That's it's, what I want to know most. That's a, that's a, an article you can write. Like <laughs> does a Kong shit in the woods? Question mark. <laughs> oh, like, apparently oops. not. You're doing like all kinds of calculations to get like the sheer volume of King Kong shit that should be around, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine he, like, shits in his hand and throws it at Godzilla? Oh, man. That would have been cool. Or like, that would have been like, the ultimate. Like, molds yeah. it into a ball and then, like, slaps it with the axe and it hits Godzilla. And when they're, like, in Antarctica, yeah, he could have, like, made a shit ball and disguised it as a snowball. But it's actually, you know, a monkey shit ball. It's like <laughs> I mean, a frosted monkey shit ball. <laughs> <laughs> Just hard hitting analysis. <laughs> uh, yep. I guess. It, well, that's all I got. I guess. I don't think we can come back from frosted monkey shit fights. So next week, <laughs> we're not not talking about uh, giant monkey shit anymore. Um, well, we're going to be doing so. So this is this is interesting because it's sort of. It might give you PTSD flashbacks to uh, to uh, Doctober oh, from a couple years ago now, um, but we're going to be talking about the new Ken Burns joint uh, Hemingway about the life and times of Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> Man, I wish Ken Burns would release a film as a as a Ken Burns joint. Um, so yeah, Hemingway. It's it's six hours long or or so. Um, I've seen it. Will's going to watch it. I think we're going to have. A, some interesting things to talk about. Not just it's not just going to be us talking about Hemingway, although that'll probably come up, but um, talking about the documentary form a little bit, especially the specific, the very sort of specific Ken Burns style of like major production American documentary. A Ken Burns documentary drops to like suburban white America the same way like a rap album drops. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's this weird sort of word of mouth buzz. Like, oh, did you see the new Ken Burns? The same way, like, did you hear the new Who the Fuck Ever? Uh, I love Who the Fuck Ever. Yeah, 
<laughs> that would be that should be a good rap name. Uh, <laughs> who the fuck? Who the fuck? And the Evers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Ken Burns has done something that seems impossible, which is make himself kind of the documentarian of the American experience and American history. I mean, he made baseball, right? The Civil yeah. War, jazz. Dude, I've um, got that so baseball documentary, the whole thing on VHS in this like amazing set. Jealous? Like, like six people in the world are like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, it's, I got it at the Grumpy Book Peddler like f- seven or eight years ago. It was just like on the bookshelf for no $300 reason. for it. No, it was like. Uh, it was twelve dollars. I'm pretty sure. It's like a dollar per tape, pretty much. Yeah, it was uh, a great find, and it does not come with the tenth inning. I don't know if you remember. He made like a a sequel several years later. That uh, was just sort of an update, like what had happened in baseball since the ninth inning. Uh, anyway, uh, it's very weird that someone like Ken Burns has any sort of cultural power, especially considering he has the worst haircut I've ever seen on a human man. He's like a more hard hitting analysis. He's like a, he's like a, like a toddler from the seventies with a goatee. (laughs) He looks like a, he looks like the kid from the shining, but with a goatee. A toddler from the 70s with a goatee. Ken the, Burns. The Ken Burns story. It's a 40-hour documentary. Yeah, I, oh, man. Someone should totally uh, make a documentary about Ken Burns and and utilize not once the Ken Burns effect. <laughs> Just totally absent of his formal innovations which is funny when you you put it like hey, we'll talk about this next time but um the fact that like a lot of the stuff that ken burns comes up with is just what we think of as being documentaries now it's literally like on the on the software and stuff like the editing software it says the ken burns like i'm not, I'm not joking that's real you've never done a ken burns that's like what what the uh, slow sort of fade in is called in, in at least some of the software I've seen editing software. Well, okay. This and more next time. Yeah. Okay. Don't watch Godzilla versus Kong. You'd be better to just go, you know, bang your head on a damn post for two hours. Banging your head on a damn post. <laughs> <laughs>